Hi, my name is Rituja and this is Roti, Kapra or Makan, where we talk about the basics of life, food, clothes and the idea of home. My name is Pavna. I am a speech pathologist. I live in Redmond. Um, I've got two kids, uh, 16 and 10, and uh, been married 20 years this year. So, um, so what brought you to America? Um, I had an arranged marriage. So I came when my husband and I got married, and he'd been here already. So do you get asked this question a lot, saying, "How do you meet marriage? your husband?" Yeah, yeah, like or like being really either flabbergasted or scandalized by the term arranged marriage? Oh, completely. I've, it's, it's been a process for me to actually accept it myself because you come to a country where people think arranged marriage means you've been, you know, coerced into a marriage. And then people look at you like you're from a different planet. Then you kind of grow into it and then you kind of have your, you know, your party lines ready, you know. What arranged marriage really means. You know, you kind of get used to <laughs> anticipate questions and you then have the responses. Mm-hmm. So, um, did your parents say that you had to get in an arranged marriage or no. was that something? No, no, no. I come from a very um, diverse family. My brother-in-law is actually Australian. My sister-in-law is Bengali. Um, we are four of us. So, one of my brothers had an arranged marriage. I had an arranged marriage. My sister and my other brother, they married. You know, they chose their own partners. So, you know, it's, it, it ran the gamut. Yeah. yeah. So do you mind telling me, like, wh- why did you choose to go the arrangement? I didn't choose. My okay. just was very shy. And, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, this seemed to be work out fine for me. And, you know, we're all, you know, there's a place for everybody. So, you know, so the Indian concept of arranged marriage actually, you know, um, I think uh, ensures that the outgoing and the not so outgoing, you know, find life partners and they kind of move on, you know. So yeah. it's just a different way of meeting whoever you're supposed to be with. Bhavna and I sat down to talk over a typical busy weekend. Between driving her daughter to various music-related engagements, we talked about life, what brought Bhavna to the States, and how she had made a home for her family in the suburbs of Seattle. I have a degree in German studies, and um, I worked for an airline for two years before we got married. And uh, when I came here, airline jobs didn't pay very well. It was far away and, you know, it was really almost minimal, minimum pay jobs. And I didn't want to go back to that. And by default, I ended up teaching English as a second language at the community colleges for 10 years. And um, because I learned German as a foreign language, I always wanted to be on the other side of the table. I wanted to teach because it was so fun. I had such an amazingly good time learning another language. So I had a blast teaching for 10 years and then I felt like I'd plateaued. I wasn't happy going, you know, every time I'd walk into class, I'd feel this kind of excitement and happiness to see my students. After a while, I realized I wasn't feeling that and I was not really growing in my profession. So I decided it was time to move on. And then, there, you know, it was also that's the time, you know, that all the soul searching started and, you know, what do I do? You know, where do I go? And at that time, Bellevue Community College had this wonderful program uh, called uh, Work First, I think it was. And they did a full personality profile. And yeah. this was, they did the Myers-Briggs on me. And then they did one other test. I don't remember what it was. But then after talking to me and after I answered all these questions, spat out all these professions at me. And so speech pathology was one of them. 
And I go, oh, what is that? I didn't even know what speech pathology was. And so then I did some research. I, I volunteered at a couple of, um, I job shadowed actually at a, at a couple of um, clinics here. And uh, most people in this profession are so good about letting outsiders in to see what they do. They are not scared to let people in to, you know, and I have to thank the parents too who let me watch the child, you know, receiving the therapy, right? And so, and then I realized, oh, this is kind of, you know, I mean, I can see myself doing something like this. Um, so I went into the profession, you know, I mean, um, I, I did my undergrad. It was, a, it was an accelerated undergrad program. It took a year um, at the UW, and then I took a two, three year break, you know, when our son arrived. And then when he was three, I went back for my master's. So it's been a process. It took, I want to say seven years from when I quit ESL, 2005 December, to when I started working as a speech therapist in 2012. That's about seven years, right? Yeah, about seven years. So it was a long process. But it was, um, you know, the profession is something that, that, that totally, you know, it, it's, 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 a very, it's a very giving profession. Um, as most professions are, but you know, this is something that gels with me. So you know, it, it works with my desire to work one-on-one. -on -one. I don't, you know, I don't particularly like big groups. So this would work just fine. Um, I dictate my hours, so I can take off whenever I want to. And plus, I see these children make amazing gains, and you know, that just makes me keep going back. You know, when you were studying, your daughter probably was studying mm -hmm. too. Yeah. How was it to be a parent and a student and amongst all So, you know, that's things? such an interesting question because that's something that kept me going was I was ready to quit multiple times, multiple times. And the only thing that really held me back was this thought, what will my children think of me? So you want to be a good role model for your kids, right? And so... One thing I want them to learn, there's no quitting. I mean, you can quit for the right reasons, but not because it's too hard. It could be because it's not the right path for me, maybe. But you need to give it 100% before you decide it's not for you. And so I, I and the family slogged on with me, you know. Um, it, was, it, was, it was almost like the whole family was getting the degree. <laughs> it, was, it was quite tough, yeah, you know, with... Um, yeah, and so my daughter looked up to that, you know. She, I mean, the picture she would draw, she was six at that time, she would draw pictures of, you know, I want to be like my mom and have and these, these thick books next to her. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is cute. That is so, cute. Um, yeah, so, you know, but it also, now I feel it gives my children a better perspective when they meet children with, uh, with delays, with disabilities, with any kind of, when they're not typically developing, I think... My daughter has a much deeper sensitivity to kids in the high school who have either personality issues or who have learning disabilities. I mean, she goes out of her way to help kids because they don't, they're not getting something, you know, in class because she understands better, oh, okay, my mom comes and talks to me about this all the time at home. So, you know, it, I think it, it, it instills a sense of sensitivity in these children. Most Indian families have kids who are high achieving because, you know, we are all from educated families and we want to educate. Education is a big, big deal for us that sometimes kids lose, 
they don't see what's normal, which this range of normal is huge. And they don't see that range of normal. And it's good for them to see that. Bhavna and I talk about what it means to be an immigrant in America. We grew up in Delhi as Tamilians, as immigrants ourselves, up north. Mm. So there were uh, quite a few, I think, um, not so fun experiences, I think, growing up as a South Indian in the north, you know, because they think you're oily and dark and chote chote kale kale log, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there was, you know, so it's, it's interesting that uh, we, all of us can get together here in the U.S. and talk about us Indians as being immigrants rather than just South Indians being immigrants up north. Living here, I feel I stand out. It's me. I feel that. But I think I've only had positive experiences. Um, no, I, I mean, I think it's me that feels this feeling of standing out every once in a while. But it's not... Uh, more positive experience than in Delhi at any time. When you're here in the United States, you know, you feel like you're sort of on guard or you're aware, you're more aware. I'm just aware, And then yeah. when you go to India, it's like you just blend mm-hmm. in because I think... Now, do you remember your kids feeling that way? In, here? Here or in India? So the My daughter is very, very... Um, she's actually very... Um, verbal about it. I mean, she tells me that when she goes, she likes to go to India because she fits in really well. She's actually an expert at code switching. So she switches from an American accent when she's talking to her friends here to a completely Desi accent when she's talking to, you know, Desi people or her grandparents or us. And so when she goes to India, I remember when she was 12, I took her to Madras and we went to a store and the shopkeeper asked her, so how come you're not at school? Because <laughs> she sounded completely, you know. She speaks Tamil? No, she was speaking in English, but it was a complete Indian accent. Mm. So, you know, so she, she kind of got a kick out of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, that she's able to code switch and fit in. Um, so I think it's, it's become more apparent now that with, you know, with the change in the political scene here, it's become, in the last year, both my kids have been a little... I've been exhibiting more anxiety around, and I don't mean clinical anxiety, I right. mean anxiety around, you know, what's, what is going on and, you know, do people still like me? And my, son, my son will come and tell me, ki, you know, um, this so-and-so, so-and-so is a Trump supporter, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So they're becoming so aware of these distinctions and it didn't used to be that way till even when George W. was running for, you know, it didn't, it wasn't this polarized, I didn't think. Our conversation then moved on to clothes. I think it's the most um, elegant piece of clothing. You know, the way I feel in a sari, I do not feel like that nasalwar kameez or anything else that I wear. I think it just brings out the feminine in me. I love the way it feels, the way it drapes, the way it, it moves when I walk, you know, everything about it. And to me, the sari is also a reflection of the craftsmanship that went into it, which is why I do not, and, I, and this is completely personal, I do not like the, and maybe it just dates me, the new gota saris, because they all look the same. You know, they all look the same. To me, a sari reflects 
something more than just a piece of cloth that has stuff on it. It, it, it reflects the work that you know, an artisan put into it, um, that the prints mean something, that they come from a certain region which historically has made this kind of, these kinds of motifs on the sari. So they, they need to tell a story, you know? Um, so that's what I love. And my mother, you know, she's got me these sarees with kalamkari applique, you know, and so I said, that's kalamkari, you know, then you said, what's kalamkari, you know, and I have a sari which is, well, which has um, uh, M.F. Hussain's horses printed on it. It's a printed silk sari, but it's M.F. Hussain, you know, so, oh, okay. But that has a story to it. You know, so little, it doesn't have to be, I mean, to me, the most precious ones are the ones that have some kind of regional connection. Um, um, my grandmother had a, I love that sari of hers. Oh, I can't. It's, 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 it's from Andhra somewhere. Mm. Ah, I can't imagine, I can't remember the word, but it's I still remember. It's not Pochampalli, no, it's something different. I still remember the material and how it felt. And it was my favorite sari. I used to wear saris to work in Delhi. And, um, and, I, and that used to be my favorite sari to wear, wear to work because it just felt and fe it, it felt so beautifully. It, it, the colors was the short colors. You just cannot capture those those kinds of hues, you know, in my mind, in any other form of clothing. And that's just very personal, of course. And it's, it's also what you're raised with, you know. I mean, you like what you're raised with. Um, and I love Kanchivarams because that's what my mother used to wear. If it was a special occasion, that's what she wore, Kanchivarams. And Kanchivaram, the colors are just stunning. If there was one recipe or one food that you had to pass on to your kids as inheritance, what would that be? Oh dear, so much. I can't think of one. I think it's my, you know, my summer holidays were spent in Madras with my, in my grandmother's kitchen. I remember that more because I would hang out with her. I had nothing better to do. And in Delhi, I had schoolwork, this, that. My mother would have cooked early. But the one thing that always brings me back to my childhood is when you crackle mustard seeds in coconut oil and you add kadi patta in it, there is no flavor, no aroma that matches that. And they say that your old, I mean, it's not they say, it's the, the fact is that the, the olfactory bulb is very close to your memory center which is why aromas and smells trigger memories. And in this case, it certainly triggers in very clear memories of my grandmother, you know, putting this handful of must, you know, kadi patta into coconut oil and, you know, oh my God, it would smell so good. And so every time I do that, I tell my daughter, see, and, and, my, and my son, you know, see, this is what I grew up with. This is what I grew up with, you know. So hopefully they'll take that with them. Yeah. You know, coconut oil and curry patta in it with mm -hmm. mustard seeds yeah. and green chili sometimes, red chili sometimes. You know, each one gives it a different aroma, right? Yeah. Do you like to cook? Generally speaking, I mean, you know, there are weeks when I can't be bothered, but I do because we. I, I'd rather put healthy food on the table than not, you know. So kids then ask me, Acha, Amma, we're eating this again. <laughs> Maybe we can have that tomorrow. I said, sure, as long as you guys tell me what to make. I don't want to come up with things that I need to make, you know. You ask me, you know. Just don't ask me for puri every second day. I can't do that. That's true. You know? yeah. So other than that, you know, they're very, you know, I try to make these one pot meals. Egg dal, one vegetable, some masala in it, done. <laughs> <laughs>
till they kind of start complaining, you know. Yeah. What is the food that you miss the most? Oh, you know, now that chaat house has come up and now that, you know, there's spice rod with the dosas, I don't miss a whole lot anymore. But what I would miss in Delhi in the winters was standing around the the chaatwala, you know, the and make the aloo chaat because the he's making hot hot aloo chaat and you're standing around and uh, I mean, of course, the aroma is intense. Then the warmth, and then they put the aloo chaat in these, you know, these these little leaf katoris. What do they call it? I don't even remember. I know what they call it in Tamil. Interesting. I don't know in Hindi anymore. And then you know the aloo ka chaat. Oh man, that is absolutely divine. I don't. It's not like I miss it, but it, it's a it's a memory of how we used to eat street food, right? In the winters, especially winter, you know. Itni thand hoti thi, but you would stand out just to eat that aloo ka chaat. And it was warm, so it wasn't... Exactly, so you would stand around, tiki. you know, everybody says, you know, aloo, aloo tikki and aloo chaat, both. Mm. Huh. Those are the two. And fresh samosas. I mean, nothing to beat the samosas from Delhi. How refreshing it has been to talk to Bhavna. May we carry the resolve to do our best in life. Roti Kapra or Makan is produced by Studio Disha. Theme music by Mansoor Ahmed of Resonate Productions. Editing assistance by Daniel Gantner. I am Rituja and thanks for listening to Roti Kapra or Makan.